the mission of this church is encouraging people to follow Jesus with their whole hearts. Encouraging people to follow Jesus with their whole hearts. Can you say that with me? Encouraging people to follow Jesus with their whole hearts. One time, one more time. It's like a third grade. Encouraging Jesus to, oh, excuse me, no, no. <laughs> Hopefully we can encourage Jesus, I don't know. Encouraging, here we go. Encouraging people to follow Jesus with our whole hearts. There are a thousand books on leadership. We know about leadership. You can, TED Talks, you, I mean, there's all kinds, you can get articles off of Flipboard, all, all kinds of things about leadership. We know what leadership looks like. Many of us have been directed. We, we know leaders who tell you what to do. I was flying out here yesterday and there was a mom with three redheaded children. She had red hair. They're walking down the center aisle of the plane and they're small. She's carrying one and the other two, you know, they got a blanket and they got their pillows and they got the bears and everything and they're walking. But the little guy in front is like six years old and he's walking backwards talking to his mom. She said, Johnny, turn around and look for row 30. And he turns around and goes, okay. We all know what that looks like. Leadership can be that. It can be collegiality. It can be sort of leadership by consensus. There are lots of, but there's very little to be found about what it means to follow. Very little to be found about what it means to follow unless you read this Jesus of Nazareth person. And when you look at him, it's a different deal. In the story of Jesus that you find in the Gospels, and we'll come to that in a moment, he lives in a culture of what we call peripatetic teachers. That means guys who walk around. You can find it today in the Middle East. You can find it with rabbis and imams and all kinds of prophetic types. They have little groups of followers and they walk around. And Jesus had like a second cousin by the name of John the Baptist, six months older. Both of them died young. And he had a group of guys that he was getting together. They were John's followers. And John, the first chapter in the Gospels, tells about John going to the Jordan River, and then he was there a second time, and this is how it reads. This is John 1.35. The next day, John, the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you'll see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour. I love this text, and I've, I've spoken on it a lot. I've spoken on it here. But I love it for the exchange you know, the, the exchange is, essentially, what do you want? The response is, where are you staying? It's a fascinating thing. I think, 2,000 years down the pike, I think Jesus of Nazareth, this 30-year-old guy out of a hill country in Galilee, up in the northern part of Israel, <clears throat> I think he is God. So when he says, what do you want? I think he should know what they want. And when they ask him a question, they don't ask him theology or philosophy or science or anything. All they ask him is, where are you hanging? That's a fourth paraphrase. 
But where are you staying? And he doesn't tell them. All he says is, come, you'll see. And it says they went and stayed with him the whole day. What I find fascinating about this particular text is what he doesn't say. What he doesn't say is if you can guess who I am, then you can be part of my group. Because the point of following Jesus, and again, if I'm John and I got the two guys and I say, look, the Lamb of God and my two guys follow him, that, that's disconcerting to say the least because I'm trying to build my group and, you know. Unless my, my real thinking is I want my guys to follow him. That's what pastoral work is around. It's wanting the people who come and are kind enough to sit and listen and engage and we do things in the community and we have potluck dinners and, you know, or lunches and I'm, I'm sorry I'm not going to be here next week because I'd love to come to that and Roger can go to the steak and the chicken and that. And I'm heading straight for the Marionberry pie. I just want to say that. Some of, some of you are looking at me and saying, well, that's what I thought has been your track record. You know, you can see that. But the point is, if my, if my dream is to have my guys follow you, then this is, a good, this is a good deal. But here's the point. To follow Jesus is to discover. To follow Jesus is to discover. It begins with an invitation. Come here. Got something to show you. And the exchange is simple. What do you want? Where are you staying? A follower, by definition wants to be in the presence of the leader. You want to get his or her vibe. You want to be in the same space. You want to be identified with him. That's just how it is. You want to be where he or she is to discover. When you follow Jesus, you learn to think like he thinks. It takes a lifetime. I'm not there yet. But you learn to think like he thinks, and he thinks very differently. I mean, in our culture, we say, if you're going to get the message out, you need to reach a million and 27 people. And Jesus says, when you do it to one of the least of these, you do it to me. Well, that's a different way to think. When you think about authority in our culture, you think of standing up, giving directions, speaking out, and we think of submission as kneeling down and washing feet. And Jesus comes along and says, let me give you a different culture where authority kneels down and washes feet and submission stands up and speaks out and says, let me tell you what I'm feeling and thinking about this. That's a totally different model. I have a friend in Washington, D.C. who says, when you're going to do something for God, why don't you devise the very best plan you can think of and then turn it 180 degrees and you'll probably be closer to what Jesus is thinking. Can I say that again? Devise your very best plan about how you would do it and then turn it 180 degrees and you'll probably be closer to what Jesus is thinking. You'll learn to say what he says in the way he says it. Ruth says I have a tone when I get upset. I don't shout or scream or holler, but she says I have an edge to the way I speak. And one day, this is years ago because now I'm much, much better, but... But I, I said something in a way, and she looked at me, and she's a pretty quiet person. And she looked at me and said, Dick, do you know how it makes me feel when you use that tone with me? And I'm, you know, I'm saying, well, you know, I don't know. 
But when you're with somebody a lo- over a long period, you start sounding like them a little bit. I, I have a theory that when you're married like 50 or 60 years, you start looking like each other. All right? My father-in-law, Ruth's dad, would always answer the phone with sort of a three-tone hello. Hello, like that. Hello. And I fell into saying it that way. So now when I answer the phone, I say hello. He had been dead a couple of years. We were visiting at, at Ruth's mom's house, and the phone rang. And I picked it up and said, hello. And it was dead silent on the other end of the phone. And then after about 15 seconds, my sister-in-law, Lana, said, Dick, is that you? I said, yes. She said, don't ever do that again. And I'm saying, do what? Say hello. Don't ever do that. When you follow him, you start sounding like him in the tone that you use because 80% of communication is tone. There's a lot of difference between I love you and I love you. Those are polar opposites. The tone that we use. And I ask myself the question, Foth, how's the Jesus tone coming in your life? Thirdly, when you follow Jesus, you do what he does. It's, it could be mimicry. <clears throat> Kids learn to do things by mimicry. Some of you are in the construction business. You've been around the mountain a few times. You've built dozens of houses and stuff, and some young apprentice comes on. He's not a journeyman yet, and he's learning how to nail a roof or, or a subfloor, or if you're in the, in the brick business, in the stone build, in, in the masonry business, you can, you can teach a guy how to butter a brick, if that's what you call it, how to put the hod on that brick, the mortar, with one less stroke, and you can save a lot of time and therefore make money if you do it this, but you learn by being with the master, by the, with the journeyman, and you're just an apprentice. That's, that's how it works. Our daughter, Jenny, who's now in her mid-40s, married with a child, and I remember when she was a little girl, she was sitting in the front row at church one day, and I just said, let's just sing the song, let's just, let's just worship the Lord. And I, I did this, and several people were doing this as they sang. And I watched Jenny, she's maybe six years old, sitting in the front, and she started singing, and then she looked around, and people were like this, and she went. <laughs> you say, was that heartfelt? I, I don't know, but she was saying, well, that must, be, that must be part of the shtick. That must be part of the deal that you do when you, when you worship, you do you do this, and, and you say, well, what does this mean? What does this mean? Well, we say, well, it means surrender. But for Jenny, what it meant was, when she was very small, she would come to me and say, up, Daddy, and I would pick her up, and she'd have this bigger view, and she'd feel cared for. And, and so when I think of doing this, I'm saying, up, Daddy. But we learn by watching. We see how something is done. When you follow Jesus, you learn who he is, you learn about him, you learn about you, you learn about life, you learn about relationships. That's why to be in a little group, you know, you got 33 options here, apparently. I'd go to the one with Mary and Barry Pie. But if you, if you go there, you know, what, what happens is if you're young, you're hanging out with older people, some bald guys and some, you know, people who, and, and 
because they've been around the sun quite a few more times with Jesus and they've learned some stuff. They have his tone. And, they, and so when you do that, that helps in the following process because you don't follow alone. You come to Jesus alone, but you follow in a group. That's how this works. So in a day of being called out, you say, you know, you go on television and say, so-and-so called out. It, what it means is that they were challenged. Here's one. Jesus sets the priority in following this way. Matthew, the fourth chapter. It's a different expression of a similar incident as you read in John, but it's the actual calling. Because in that John passage, they're saying, I, I think we found the Messiah. I, I think we, and so forth. So Andrew goes and finds Peter and so forth. These guys are fishermen. Matthew 4, 18, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. They're in the commercial fishing business. Jesus says, come follow me, and bang, they're gone. I mean, who's going to take over the deal? if he? Well, that's not the question. The question is, am I going to follow him? That's the question. It's interesting because the word in the original language that's used here if you come from a high church background, if you come from an Anglican or Episcopal or Catholic background or Orthodox, uh, and you have liturgy, the word from which follow comes is the word for acolyte. Akalutheo means to follow. An acolyte in a liturgical church, one that has rituals and so forth, is the one who carries candles with the priest or gets the communion ready, that sort of thing. They are people who attend and assist. So it's not just Jesus saying, I'm going to go do this, and you tag along and just do whatever. He's saying, come along and assist me. Come along and be part of the work. One commentator says it this way, the word that's used for fishermen here, I will make you fishers of men, is not the traditional word that's used. There are a variety of words for that. But it has to do with people who work on the sea, on the water, in the sun. And his thought was he was calling them to bring people into the light. Come, leave your nets, and come with me. And instead of fishing just for fish, I will help you fish for people to bring them into the light. When you follow Jesus, there are two pieces that come into play big time. And these are first, last, and always. The first one is, to follow is to trust. To follow is to trust. In times past, I've told you the story of five young missionaries in 1956 that were murdered, killed by Alca Indians in Ecuador. It was back in the day, if you're old enough, you remember that. <clears throat> Jim Elliott, one of the guys, was from Oregon sort of one of the leaders of the group, actually. When he was killed, his wife Elizabeth went back into uh, the jungles with her young daughter and another woman in the next two years and 
numbers of the Alcas came to Jesus. They're now called Warani Indians, which is the tribal name. I had read all of her books. She's quite the author. And she came to Bethany College when I was president back in the 80s, and I was so excited. And I, I had to sing a chorus before I introduced her. Lord, I want to love you more than I ever had before. You're so easy to adore. Lord, I want to love you more. I introduced Elizabeth Elliot, who is now 60-ish. She's from New England. She stands up very proper. First words are, you need to be very careful about the songs you sing. I'm sitting behind her thinking, oh man, why didn't we sing all hail the power of Jesus' name or some great hymn of the church? And she said, because it is, it's easy to adore him, but it's tough to follow him. It's easy to adore him. It's tough to follow him. And then she talked to our student body for the next 30 minutes on sex. Because if it's not practical, this following, if this doesn't work out in everyday life, if it doesn't address the issues of who I am and what I do and how life works, then it's not really worth so much to me in the mix. But she um, came to my office afterwards and I said, Elizabeth, if, if you were to say one thing about this life in Jesus that's just central to it, what would it be? And she looked at me without batting an eye and said, trust, Dick. What is there? What else is there? Trust, Dick. What else is there? The heart of trusting is keeping your eyes on the person you're following. And she went on to tell the story of down in Ecuador, she would cross rivers or gorges following a guide through the jungle. And you'd come to something that's not very wide, but it was deep. And it was a log across a gorge, I don't know how many feet down. And he said, follow me this way. And she was scared. She was nervous. But he couldn't, like, carry her across or anything. So what he said to her was, I'm going to start out. Of course, he's barefoot. He starts on the log. He said, I'm going to put my hand back, and I'm going to extend my finger. And you keep looking at the back of my head, and you touch my finger, and you follow me. She said, I can't tell you how many gorges I crossed in my years in Ecuador, walking across a log high above a raging stream, touching an Indian's finger, just looking at the back of his head and walking. Because following has to do with keeping your eyes on the person you're following. And in a day when we have a thousand distractions, in a day when we have all these things going on, that's a key. How many of you here have done a trust walk in your life? Anybody? Few of you have done a trust walk. And... Uh, I, like, I haven't done trust walks in a long time, but they're very informative about this. And first service, I surprised Roger and had him. This service, I'm going to surprise Jerry. Okay, Jerry? You trust me a little bit? Just a little. You don't have to trust me a lot. This is how a trust walk works. He takes my hand, closes his eyes, and then he just walks with me like this. We're just walking. Don't just, put your leg out, Roger. No, no. We're just we're doing good. Then we'll just, I'll just turn Jerry around here a couple times. Just get him to, let me just do this. We'll just go like this. Just. And then I'm going to turn my microphone off and I'm going to drop his hand. And he's going to.
I did that once with 200 men at a men's retreat in Illinois, out in a grassy area, broke up into teams of two, holding hands, walking as a highway. I have no idea what those people think and all those guys walking around out there. And then I said, drop your hands. <clears throat> and they started calling to each other. Over here, Harry, not over there, over here. See, the problem is, in that kind of context, is there are 99 other voices. We live in a culture where there are hundreds of other voices. And Jesus is saying, come here, I want to show you something. Come this way to my dad's place. Come on over here. And there are all these other voices, and I have to really tune in the frequency so I hear. That's why we do this. That's why we are in small groups. That's why we gather, because it adjusts our frequencies so we understand who it is we're following. We can get a sense for him. We came back in after that experience, and I said, let's debrief. When did you guys either open your eyes, when you were following, when did you either open your eyes or want to open your eyes? One guy raised his hand and said, when I felt the tree. <laughs> I said, you felt a tree? He said, well, I thought it was a tree. The shadow came across me, we're out in the sunlight. I opened my eyes, there was a tree, 50 feet over there. But it felt real. And when it feels real, I tend to follow my feelings, don't I? When it feels real, it may not be true, but if it feels real, that's the direction I go. Another guy said, when I got imprecise directions, like you're coming to some stairs sometime soon. Well, that's, that's not good. Another guy said, when I got directions too late, like that was a log. <laughs> Aren't you grateful for a God who gives us precise directions on time? I have an FBI friend in Washington, D.C., retired guy, who says Jesus is the slowest on person on earth who is always on time. Finally, this older guy raised his hand. He was like in his mid-80s. I didn't think he was going to go do this. Raised his hand. I said, sir, what did you, what did you like about it? He said, that's one of the most exciting things I've done in quite a while. I said, why? He said, because for once in my life, someone else was responsible for the obstacles. When you follow Jesus, he says, I'll fight for you. When you follow Jesus, he says, I'll be a first responder. I'll be the first line of defense. I will be the person out in front when you follow me. The second thing, the final thing, is to follow him is to submit. To submit. When I'm in marriage retreats and I say, we're going to talk about submission, you can virtually hear the women in the room sucking air through their teeth. Say, oh, no. One more time for some guy to tell us how we have to submit. But Scripture says submit one to another in marriage. So, you know, we need to read. That's why it's important to read. We need to get that part right. And, but submission, it doesn't like bounce off the page as something I really want to do, when in fact it's one of the most powerful ideas in the whole of this book. When I say this to people, I say, who's the most authoritative person in the Scriptures? They say, Jesus. I say, who's the most submitted person in the scriptures? They say, Jesus. I'm saying, well, how does that work? How does that work? Jesus was always saying to his disciples, I'm telling you what the Father tells me to tell you. I'm doing the Father's will. So in Gethsemane, when he's in Gethsemane, he responds because he knows what's coming in 24 hours. He's going to be you know, just pinned to a Roman cross like some insect. 
and die the most brutal death imaginable because the Father asked him to do it to reconcile all of us to him so we could hear this story 2,000 years down the road. I mean, it didn't make sense because he thinks in a different way. Randall Wallace, who was the one who wrote the screenplay for Braveheart and wrote, directed the film We Were Soldiers, spoke at the National Prayer Breakfast some years ago, and he said, back in the day, if you were to see the crucifixion, you'd be unlikely to say, um, I think the guy in the middle is going to win. Because the way Jesus approaches life is so different, but when he submitted to the Father, this is what he says, Father, if there's any way to take this thing, this cross thing away, I know its purpose, but if there's any way to not have to drink from this cup, take it away. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's how it works. Submission is not slavery. Lady walked into my office some years ago and was having a little marital trouble. I said, so do you have a biblical marriage? She said, oh yeah, literally gritted her teeth. I said, oh yeah, I'm submitted. I said, you're submitted? She said, yep, I'm submitted. I said, lady, you're not submitted, you're a slave. Slavery is what happens when somebody else makes you do it. Slavery is what happens when somebody else puts you in bondage, if you will. Submission is what happens when I do it to myself. Submission is sending myself under. The United States has the largest volunteer armed forces in the world. It's all volunteer. This is, this is volunteerism at its highest here. It's not blind trust. It's sending myself under. And Jesus, who's the greatest leader the planet has ever known, the only one who can change the human heart, he models what it means to submit. He says, follow me, and I'll show you what it's like to be a submitted person. When you follow me, you learn what it's like to volunteer yourself, to give your life away, and have it come back, pressed down, shaken together, running over, poured into your lap. Some years ago, had a senator friend when I was in D.C. We had been boyhood friends. <clears throat> he had grown up on gospel music. And every once in a while, he'd get invited to speak at a congregation. He's a great believer. And uh, they'd ask him to sing as part of his presentation. And so he got an invitation to go to Concord, North Carolina. It's not Concord. They said we'd never been conquered. It's Concord, North Carolina. It's outside of Charlotte. <clears throat> Pretty large church couple thousand folks and the night before we got there it snowed about three or four inches and in that part of the world they're not used to snow like new hampshire or something it sort of shuts things down so we go to the first service and there are like 30 people there 40 people and john had told me he said i'm going to sing at one point the battle hymn of the republic and i want you to join you come up on the chorus and we'll sing it to you i said okay i'll sit over so he gets to the time when he's going to do this he said so i'm going to sing this and i'm going to have someone help me and I thought he was going to name me, my friend Dick Both. So I didn't move. I just sat there. He said, so someone's going to help me. And I still sat there. And, and I, then he, he just said, is, is there anyone to help me here? You know, he was sort of being a little, a little edgy. I don't like it when senators get sarcastic. But he just said, it was a little, is there anybody? To, and from over here, a voice said, I will. 
And the fellow stands up and walks down the road. And he gets to about here. And I can tell he's a, he's a friend with Down syndrome. And he's about 50 years old, which is pretty unusual. And, and he just walks up to my friend John. And he just wraps his arms around him and lays his head on his chest. I mean, it's just a moment, you know. So then by that time, I'm chagrined and duly chastened. And I'm up there and we sing the song. And, you know, Paul is his name. He's sort of getting into it. John, after the service, says, uh, any chance you can stay around for second service, Paul? He said, yeah. So we stay. by the time we get to the third service and we're singing glory, glory, hallelujah, Paul is Frank Sinatra. I mean, he's, just, you know, I mean, he's all over it. My job then was to escort him back down and out to the foyer because he lived in a little facility right next to the church. <clears throat> we get halfway up the aisle and John is starting to speak and Paul turns around and says, hey. He said, yes, sir. He said, I'm going to lunch now, okay? <laughs> he said, that's, that's good. Then John turned around and said, Paul uttered the two most powerful words any culture can ever hear when he said, I will. What if when we were called to do something significant, instead of saying, well, I need to check, and I want to, you just say, I will. What if when people are needed to volunteer to do whatever it is, I just say, I will. I'll follow. I'll follow the call. Who will come? I will. Who will go? I will. Who, who's willing to stay? I will. Who's willing to go to one of the least of these? I will. The whole world would change when we follow the Jesus who said to the Father, when asked, I need to redeem the world and I need a sacrifice and I need, and he says, I will. There's an old gospel song. We sang one this morning. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. There's another one that goes like this. Follow, I will follow you, my Lord. Follow every passing day. My tomorrows are all known to you. You will lead me all the way. Jesus, where are you going? Going to my father's house. Who wants to come? I will. <laughs> <laughs>